The Torah content from now through Pesach has been sponsored by the Kofsky family in loving memory of Adira, who loved big ideas and asking big questions. This is Marcus Aurelius, book three, uh, paragraph two. And I want, I, I should have mentioned this last time, but apparently um, this book was written much later in his life, uh, which I guess is indicated by the fact that he talks about uh, old age a lot at the beginning. And also, uh, in contrast to book two, this book apparently has a greater unity. I guess like book two can come across as each uh, paragraph was written on its own, you know, to be read in isolation, whereas this one's more of a flowing narrative. Um, so having said that, uh, the last topic he ended off with was old age. And then this is a continuation of that. So he says like this, uh, we must also observe closely points of this kind that even the secondary effects of nature's processes possess a sort of grace and attraction to take one instance, bread when it is being baked breaks open at some places now even these cracks which in one way contradict the promise of the baker's art somehow catch the eye and stimulate in a special way our appetite for the food and again figs when fully mature gape and in ripe olives their very approach to decay adds a certain beauty of its own to the fruit ears of corn too when they bend downwards the lines wrinkled brow the foam flowing from the boar's mouth and many other characteristics that are far from beautiful if we look at them in isolation do nevertheless because they follow from nature's processes lend those a further ornament and a fascination and so if a man has a feeling for and a deeper insight into the processes of the universe there's hardly one but will somehow appear to present itself pleasantly to him even among mere attendant circumstances such a man will also feel no less pleasure in looking at the actual jaws of wild beasts than at the invitations which painters and sculptors exhibit, and he will be enabled to see in an old woman or an old man a kind of freshness and bloom, and to look upon the charms of his own boy slaves with sober eyes. And many such experiences there will be, not convincing to everyone, but occurring to him and to him alone, who has become genuinely familiar with nature and her works. Okay, so this is, this one was a doozy here because um, my uh, and I'm going to be kind of all over the place here with my my thoughts. So um, so I guess my first thought was that this well, first of all, let me talk about the shot. So the shot is that um, when you realize uh, you know when you when your 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 framework is focusing on on nature as a whole, so then even things which people regard as ugly or or, uh, you know, or or practically, like, inconvenient, like, uh, you know, spoiling figs or, like, a, uh, a lion's mouth or old age, so then you'll see a beauty in it. So my first thought was um, maybe he's talking about the beauty of the fact that this is a, you know, that the universe was designed with Chachma and that you're appreciating the design of these things within the framework of the systems of nature. Uh, but then I realized, like, no, it sounds much more like he's talking about a sort of, like, aesthetic um, beauty. Um, and he, he references that a lot with the, you know, that the light somehow catches the eye or stimulates the appetite. And the fact that he goes and talks about how you find the same kind of beauty in, um, in artwork, uh, to me, lends itself to the fact that he's talking more aesthetically than... Um, than in terms of the Chachma. Okay, but then, once I'd already gotten to that track of Chachma, that led me to think, well, how would we view it? Um, and um, so my first thought association was to something <laughs> in uh, in Aristotle's book, uh, what is it called? Uh, on the Parts of Animals. That's not something I read, <laughs> but like I, someone must have quoted this a long time ago. Uh, and it... Um, made me think about it. So he says, so Aristotle, I guess, was um, when he wrote his treatise uh, on 
you know, everything, then I guess there was some sort of uh, pushback or, or people like looked down on him for studying what was considered to be inferior creatures. You know, he really studied all of biology. Um, and so I guess when he was looking at like, I don't know, bugs or, or things like that, then, then people said like, well, why are you spending your time with that? Like you should be focusing on, you know, exclusively on, you know, the heavenly bodies and such. So in uh, section one, I guess part five, I have no idea what the structure is. So he, he talks about, um, yeah, oh my, uh, how much of this should I read? <laughs> uh, okay, I'm gonna, this is gonna be longer than usual. Um, he says like this, of things constituted by nature, some are ungenerated, imperishable, and eternal, while others are subject to generation and decay. The former are excellent beyond compare and divine, but less accessible to knowledge. Um, the evidence that might throw light on them and on the problems which we long to solve respecting them is furnished but scantily by sensation, whereas respecting perishable plants and animals, we have abundant information, living as we do in their midst, and ample data may be collected concerning all their various kinds, if only we are willing to take sufficient pains. Both departments, however, have their special charm. The scanty conceptions to which we can attain of celestial things gives us, from their excellence, more pleasure than all our knowledge of the world in which we live, just as a, glim a half glimpse of persons that we love is more delightful than a leisurely view of other things, whatever their number and dimensions. On the other hand, in certitude and in completeness, our knowledge of terrestrial things has the advantage. Moreover, their greater nearness and affinity to us balances somewhat the loftier interest of the heavenly things that are the objects of the higher philosophy. Having already treated of the celestial world as far as our conjectures could reach, we proceed to treat of animals without omitting to the best of our ability any member of the kingdom, however ignoble. For if some have no graces to charm the sense, yet even these, by disclosing to intellectual perception the artistic spirit that designed them, give immense pleasure to all who can trace links of causation and are inclined to philosophy. Indeed, it would be strange if mimic representations of them were attractive because they disclosed the mimetic skill of the painter or sculptor, and the original realities themselves were not more interesting. Uh, to all at any rate who have eyes to discern the reasons that determine their formation. We therefore must not recoil with childish aversion from the examination of the humbler animals. Every realm of nature is marvelous. And as Heraclitus, when the strangers came to visit him, found him warming himself at the furnace in the kitchen and hesitated to go in, reported to have bidden them not to be afraid to enter, as that even in the kitchen divinities were present. So we should venture on the study of every kind of animal without distaste. For each and all will reveal to us something natural and something beautiful. Absence of haphazard and conduciveness of everything to an end are to be found in nature's works in the highest degree, and the resultant end of her generations and combinations is a form of the beautiful. So that is like the Marcus Aurelius, that's like the version of Marcus Aurelius's uh, paragraph that we would agree with, uh, which is that not only is there aesthetic beauty, which Aristotle uh, acknowledges, uh, but there is a, uh, a tremendous beauty of Chachma that you can appreciate in everything from, you know, the highest uh, e eternal aspect or according to him, eternal aspects of the universe to the lowliest uh, creatures. Um, and when I thought about this, I associated then when I, I think because of that image of Heraclitus being in the kitchen and saying the divinities were present and that was referring to like the things he was studying in the kitchen, that caused me to associate to the, to the Rav statement about Rav Chaim um, that Rav Chaim took your idea, I've got the exact quote, uh, someone tell me if you know what I'm talking about here, because I don't think I have the safer um, 
in, in Far Rockaway, but um, that Chaim took uh, Yoridea and brought it from the realm of pots and pans to the realm of like Svara and Chachma. I, I forgot exactly how the, that concludes, but that reminded me, and, and that was again talking about the kitchen, that like that the halachic man sees Chachma everywhere, you know, and this is reinforced by the overlay that Halacha provides on on things like pots and pans, you know. Um, so even greater than Aristotle, not only do we study the Chachma in the physical world, but uh, also, you know, in every single aspect of the of, of man's world, because of the system of halacha that that allows everything to be a uh, a, a platform for conceptual beauty. Um, and then I this also caused me to associate to the the Richard Feynman poem about wine. Uh, you can look it up on YouTube and hear him reading it. Uh, I'm not going to read it over here now, but uh, it's a similar point that he makes um, about how he looks at wine as a scientist and how his artistic friend looks at wine. And then to top it all off, you know, I, I started this uh, Unclos discussion group on WhatsApp, and we've been talking about how Unclos translates by Hulu Hashmaim Va'am. He translates by uh, and then Vaychal Elkin Bayom Hashvi'i. So Vaychulu and Vaychal both are words meaning to complete. But Unclos translates Vaychulu Hashemaim as Ishtachlalu and um, and Vaychal as Vashatsi or something like that. I, I don't have it in front of me right now. So we, we're currently discussing like what the implications of that are. Um, so Ishtachlalu means, uh, is from the word Kalal in Aramaic, which means to crown and to complete. And, uh, and it's interesting that when he translates Tov Ma'od as referring to how well-ordered the creation is. And then when he describes God completing it, he he uses a word, Unclos renders the word for completion, not just as finishing the work, but as like finishing it in a, a crowning splendor type manner, you know? And so that was my final association to this uh, paragraph this morning about the uh, the well-orderedness of the world vis-a-vis -vis the Chachma of the Bore in it. And then also the aesthetic beauty that emerges from that, that we can appreciate the beauty in every realm of, uh, of creation. Okay, sorry for how long that was.